0: Captive Greece took a captive, her uncivilized conqueror, and instilled her arts in rustic latium. That's a quote from Horace, who was an ancient Greek, and that's what we're talking about today, is ancient Greece and all of its tenets.
1: All of its, what did you say, civilization? Its art. All of, all of her rustic arts, yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> um,
1: I think this is a civilization that has kind of captured our imagination for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm, certainly.
1: One of the inspirations for this podcast, Mm -hmm. to be honest. So as we kind of wind down the environmental podcast, this is like the third final episode, Uh, we thought it'd be good to kind of go back to the roots and just discuss what is so inspiring about ancient Greece, because obviously we're not the only two who feel kind of a a pull towards its art, history, philosophy, theatre, just everything that we associate with it Mm -hmm. is so fascinating. So we thought most of the episode is probably going to be devoted to discussing why exactly there is such a pulled towards this one specific era of history when, for the most part, most people our age, including ourselves, I would say, mm-hmm. couldn't care less about the, the rest of human history.
0: It's true, yeah. Everyone alive right now knows probably at least like a handful of ancient Greek yeah. philosophers, artists.
1: The images, like you yeah. see the, the, the architecture and, and everything like that.
0: Yeah, so we kind of each... Did our own research in preparation for this into the things that were interesting to us and then at the end we're gonna have some discussion. So where do you want to start?
1: I want to start with the sustainability or lack thereof of ancient Greece because this is a question which to me kind of comes naturally when you're talking about a time period or a civilization which is known for its innovation mm-hmm. and its forward thinking and its newness. Mm-hmm. I always think well maybe we can celebrate that but and, and kind of be wistful about it and say, I wish our civilization was more like this. But, mm-hmm. you know, is it really a sustainable thing? You know, what was the kind of environmental footprint of...
0: Such a progressive society.
1: Yeah, and such a, such a productive period. I know, like, when you think about the ancient world, you kind of think, well, how much of a footprint could they really have had? Mm-hmm. Because they weren't industrialized, for one thing.
0: Yeah, but um, a lot of the more advanced ancient civil societies collapsed due to some environmental disaster they caused due to like over farming the land then there was a drought and they couldn't recover basically.
1: Yeah that makes sense. Just kind of like I guess you'd call it the natural cycle of a of an agrarian society Mm -hmm. that doesn't have that much knowledge about or you know a kind of primitive knowledge about agriculture. Yeah. So for ancient Greece I thought first I just kind of mentioned the climate which is pretty similar to today's Mediterranean climate which means hot summers And mild winters that rarely go below like four or five degrees. Mm -hmm. And they're wet. And the temperatures are mostly moderated by that sweet, sweet Mediterranean breeze.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: The terrain is mountainous. And also there's a lot of islands. Mm -hmm. Which means that the sea is very important for travel and trade. And just to make life possible. Mm -hmm. And also that, as we'll kind of get into with the geography of ancient Greece, the structure of it is not exactly a country in the mm-hmm. way that I think our modern brains kind of perceive it to be.
0: Yeah, we think ancient Greece, oh it's Greece, but old.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it's
0: like, no, it was several hundred like city-states, nation, what are those called?
1: City states, yeah. City states. I think I mean the count kind of varies, I guess, depending on the time. Yeah. But I think at the at its peak, there were over a thousand oh, indi- wow. individual city states, each with their own governance. Mm-hmm. Each sharing, for the most part, a language, even though there's different local dialects. Each sharing largely a, a religion. religion.
0: yeah.
1: Although, of course, that obviously varied locally as well. And different places had different patron saints and different festivals and mm-hmm. things like that. About 80% of the population worked in agriculture, which okay, I thought was, I didn't was pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I think we'll get into later, it's this 80%... And obviously a lot of slaves, which Mm -hmm. kind of allowed the philosophy and artists and that kind of those luxury professions, I would say, to, Mm -hmm. to thrive in a way which most places in history, they haven't. Yes. So that's kind of important to keep at the forefront of our minds, but just as is the sustainability. And that's something that I had previously kind of thought ancient Greece is probably quite environmentally friendly because they have so many environmental deities. Mm hmm. But looking into it, it's kind of this weird half-anthropocentric, half-biocentric duality where Mm -hmm. the environment was viewed simultaneously as just a really rationalist, materialist view of it as a resource for economic growth and innovation and expansion. So, for instance, the forests, many, many hectares were cleared for farmland and also for firewood Mm -hmm. and for charcoal. And this led to things like soil erosion and streams drying up due to sediment buildup. Mm-hmm. But also it was kind of regarded as, uh, the nature was kind of regarded as a divine force or mm-hmm. a combination of divine forces to be worshipped. So I thought that was kind of an initial interesting juxtaposition to to start with.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. I know that a lot of the people who were alive then, you were talking about there was like 80% of them were farmers and there was probably a 1%, as we know it today, who were able to just kind of live and do whatever they wanted sort of thing. But I was looking into it, and it seems like, at least in Athens, like right before the Hellenistic period, everyone, no matter how rich or poor, was basically living in the exact same type of houses, but they all spent only about 30 minutes a day in their houses other than sleeping. Wow. And the rest of their time was spent at the gym, at the market, in the squares They was all spent outside of their houses and mainly in nature it was a big part of it like a lot of what most people would do other than work would just be walk through the hills and by the ocean and it was just a really big part of their daily life
1: okay so you said that was the Athenians right mm-hmm. so we should mention that was kind of like the most wealthy mm-hmm. of the city states this yeah. is the one which is most focused on what would you say the finer parts of life yeah So when I think when people say ancient Greece, they're usually talking about Athens. Yes. But for this episode, we should make an emphasis to try not to, try and be a bit more representative.
0: I feel like that contrast between nature as something to be worshipped and something as a resource perhaps comes from the religion mainly. Like there's different gods. Some of them are the god of knowledge and like progress and war, but then there's obviously the localized and bigger gods that are just there to represent nature and its forces and I feel like even like the main gods like Poseidon it was like he was the god of the waters and it's like scary that's why you had to respect the waters and there's also like the Greek people were known for their combat basically so it's like there were so many wars going on so many attempts to invade them that they just had to consume resources in order to defend themselves to build weapons to fortify their cities, and so on
1: yeah, I mean everyone needs to eat, yeah, like everyone needs land, everyone needs resources. Mm-hmm. I would say it was it seems to me I'm not like a historian on the the specific piety of ancient Greece, but it seems like if you were generally moved with respect and did your libations and did your rituals and paid your respect to the gods like that, I don't really think it was equated that clear-cutting is exactly an offense to the god of the forest or the god of trees or the nymphs as Mm -hmm. it perhaps was in other cultures. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It seems like more Eastern religions when we've (coughs) talked about them before, it's like, very specific like if you pollute this stream if you cut down a tree without even without paying reverence to it or asking permission
1: yeah or indigenous i don't think i don't think the greeks had that idea of balance so much
0: Um, and it's interesting that this is such the like such an influence on western culture because it seems like there's just no respect for nature probably came from there
1: yeah just you know despite ostensibly most of our art and most of our conception of beauty coming from nature still, as, it, as mm-hmm. it did with the Greeks. As early as 400 BC, you know, around the circa, there's a quote from mm-hmm. Plato saying about uh, Attica, which is the land around Athens, what now remains compared to what then existed is like the skeleton of a sick man, all the fat and soft earth having wasted away, and only the bare framework of the land being left. Mm. And there's other indication in the literature, also from Plato, about streams drying out, about Mm -hmm. how things used to be so much more beautiful than they are now, that they're all built up and civilized. And we even read in an earlier episode of this podcast, Hippocrates' work about airs, waters, and places. Mm -hmm. And it was largely an aesthetic notion of things like pollution, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't the notion of it.
0: Yeah, he was noting essentially the health impacts of pollution on people and the planet, but it was from a very aesthetic point of view. And it's like as, as recent as in antiquity that it was already becoming apparent that human activity was having a bad impact on nature, which was consequently having a bad impact on human health. It's just spiraled so much. And yeah. it's wild to me that no one took, because people took note of it, but no one took it as a warning or no as a caution. No one governed based off
1: of that. Yes. For, for the most part. it. It also struck me the specific motives with which, the Greeks kind of polluted and changed the land, those being two primarily the conversion of forestry to agricultural land Mm -hmm. and mining for silver and other metals. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, you know, you can make a big argument, that's the two biggest, like, those are two of the biggest issues that we still have today, Mm -hmm. which I thought was was kind of funny.
0: I know one other big land use was just expansion, like, a lot of their rulers were kind of obsessed with growing their territory, growing the space that people could live in. Alexander the Great often would just make cities just basically to help keep all the cities that already existed connected. And he would just clear cut forests and put up cities essentially. And that's very similar to urban sprawl of just like, this is our territory, we wanna have as many businesses welcomed in as we can essentially.
1: Yeah, so I think kind of my my grade on it would be a U for unsustainable.
0: Yeah, we say, oh, wouldn't it be great if everyone was thinking like the ancient Greeks? But I feel like we can do that in a sustainable manner. Yeah, that,
1: that's kind of why I wanted to start, because I think you can always take inspiration from past cultures, but much in the way we don't want to have a renaissance of their ethics, you also, you know, it's not the case that, everything these people did and everything about their way of life, their way of living, their way of growing was the proper way. And they yeah. were fallen from that in some way.
2: Mm-hmm. In
1: fact, that's how the Greeks themselves viewed, viewed mm. their, their time period, right? Yeah. There was a golden age. Plato even kind of referenced it in that quote. Mm-hmm. And what they were living in was an ugly age.
2: Yes, And it
1: was, what was to come was even worse. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we want to fall into the trap of thinking in the exact same way as them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We can make something better.
0: Yeah, for sure, because we've learned a lot, even technically, like about agriculture and how to grow things. Exactly. And obviously, socially, of how to treat people. Yeah. So, what I want to talk about next is about just kind of the daily life like, what did it look like to be an Athenian or be a Greek person? And essentially, from a young age, a lot of boys would be educated. Um, If they had money, they'd be educated privately, but in some parts of Greece, like Sparta, every boy would be educated from a young age, about seven, because they they thought education was a part of being a strong warrior. It was basically, if your mind wasn't strong but your body was, it didn't matter. Like, you couldn't go to battle. So you needed a strong mind and a strong body, and that's mainly what their education was about. A lot of women in ancient Greece were just kind of traditional ancient women of, like, they would run the household. But in Sparta in particular, women had a lot more autonomy. The men, until they were 30, would just live together, and then the women would, like, run the households. Okay. So the men weren't allowed to live in their houses, basically. They would eat there. They wouldn't sleep there.
1: It was a much more militaristic culture in that state, right?
0: Yeah, it was. But because of that, like, separation, the women had a lot more autonomy, and they even would compete in the Olympics. They would be educated. A lot of them could read and write. And I thought that was really neat. And yeah, daily life basically was just, you'd go to school until you're about 18 and then you would enroll in the military. And it wasn't really exciting. Like we probably pictured it as like all these people lounging around, eating grapes, talking philosophy, but it was pretty standard for the time, how they were living. And with the exception of this really strong aspect of community people back then it was if you were apathetic it was seen as like the worst crime or not even a crime but it was just like you would be exiled from community no one would want to talk to you or like help you out because it's like apathy was just seen as something really really evil it was like how could you not care about your politics or about your neighbor or about what's going on in the world so they really encouraged engagement with politics and philosophy, no matter what status you were. People were always out and about. No one just like was a hermit and like stayed in their home mm-hmm. unless you were a Diogenes and you stayed in your wine barrel. But we're not gonna talk about him. So everyone would go to the gym, everyone would go to the market, hikes, they'd always be outside. Yeah, no one was ever just like kind of at home. And food wasn't a big part of ancient Greek culture. Which I thought it would be, because I feel like food's like, when you're talking about culture, food kind of goes hand in hand, right? True. Do you know what they ate, like, just very commonly?
1: Is it just one thing, or you have a few things to There's a few things. Okay, let me let me think about this. Yeah. Olive oil?
0: Lotta lot of olive oil, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, wine?
0: Wine, yeah.
1: Is that something solid?
0: There's some solid things, yeah. Okay. You've referred to it as the nectar of life. I have? Yeah, apparently so did they.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> bananas.
0: No, onions and bread.
1: Oh, onions.
0: So it was like no matter what level you were, like socially, everyone stayed onions and bread dipped in wine and oil. Ooh, yeah. Sounds kind of good. Yeah, I heard <laughs> it described as it was like, because I kept Googling, I was like, why was this so productive? Why were they so, why did so many great thinkers come out of this era, so many great ideas even, just like, technically, like, infrastructure-wise. Basically, it said for a dirty, run-down city soaked in olive oil, why did it it end up like this? And it really was just because the people seemed to value balance of mind and body over anything else. And it was like they didn't care what they were eating. It was just like as long as it was nutritious and, like, going to make them, like, sustain them to exercise and read another day was kind of the vibe yeah did you know what a agora is
1: an agora is the market right
0: basically yeah i learned what that was and it was a big part of greek life in that it was this market square but it's also where there'd be people wrestling there'd be business taking place a lot of people would like carve like live in these markets just for the fun of it okay it's where all of the great thinkers would kind of come to discuss. And as I was talking kind of about education, it's like once you finish your education, you would shadow a philosopher or a teacher. And the shadowing would just be following them to the agora and listen to them debate. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let me... Let's tr- this episode's a little bit all over the place. Let's try and structure it a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so we went to something of an agora this morning.
0: Yes, we did. So
1: we're recording this on Thanksgiving. It's actually mm-hmm. going to be released the same day. So yeah. <laughs> um, we went to a little Thanksgiving market, even though you said it's there every morning.
0: It is there every day. And
1: there was a lot of fruit and vegetables. Didn't see anyone carving. Didn't hear anyone having heated philosophical discussions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How, you know, why not, do you think? Why is it now that we, everything's so...
0: Compartmentalized? Yeah, and,
1: and fragmented.
0: I feel like that's just a bit of a, a market tool. It's like... The first thing you're taught in business school is find your niche and stick to it. It's that's like true, don't try and true. be diverse. Don't try and be a market, a cafe, uh art studio. Mm-hmm. Like that'll just attract like people will be confused of what it is. So I feel like it probably is just something.
1: It's kind it's kind of a, a casualty of capitalism, I guess, and, and, yeah. e- and efficiency and
0: specialization.
1: Yeah, I mean. We were remarking, we remarked several times on the podcast and off the podcast that there's so few places now to be in public where you, that are free,
2: mm-hmm. where you don't
1: have to buy something. Right. And even, let's say, in a cafe, which is ostensibly a place where these discus- discussions might be being had,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's often rules about, oh, you can't be here for this long if you don't buy this many things and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's kind of like a pay-to-play type situation, where I imagine there weren't that many tickets for loitering in ancient Greece. No. Agoras
0: and things like that. Yeah. I just... The notion of an agora is so great to me. It's yeah. like if we reinstated these into cities where it was like there's some commerce going on, like there was business going on, but it's just like comfortable because I feel like there's a lot of those popping up around cities, like outdoor spaces for commuting, but they're always kind of gross and like not well maintained and people just kind of litter. There's no respect for them. No
1: respect, that's right.
0: Yeah, but if there were these spaces that were respected as like legitimate places for discussions and for sharing art and just kind of existing freely, and yeah, I really like it. But I think
1: the general, let's say littering is like a good example. Mm -hmm. I feel like that comes from this sense of, well, the place isn't for me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's almost like a contempt towards, what do you say, like public infrastructure, public projects sometimes Mm -hmm. saying like, Oh well, now they're going to give us a park, or something. You know, like yeah, exactly. Do, it, it's there's a lot of uh, kind of class based tensions tensions mm-hmm. like that, which I would say go into a place not being as beautiful as it perhaps could be. Yeah. Obviously, we don't know exactly what the agora's looked like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They could have been pretty messy. I mean, that quote you That's read true. said they were pretty filthy, which yeah, I mean, dirty, which might be the case.
0: But it shouldn't like they should be if they were to exist today they should exist in a state which is welcoming. So, like, maybe being dirty would attract people because it's like, oh, <laughs> it's not this pristine piece of land on which I can't operate. It's just like, oh, it's the layman's space.
1: Perhaps. I mean, we should mention that most towns simply aren't built where yeah. people can easily walk around them. True. <laughs> which, is, which is a pretty key aspect of it. They're usually built around, cow, uh, around cars in North America. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the city-states? Because one benefit I kind of saw in that is that there's no tyranny because there's a thousand different governments.
0: Yeah. That was one of the... the most usually there are. Yeah, yeah. You'd think if this epic just collection of nations existed today, someone would be like, we must unite them because they'll be stronger together. But there's something about there being a little bit of something for everyone. Mm. There was freedom of religion, freedom of culture, freedom of expression in all of Greece. Mm. So it was like, You weren't, like, maybe you're exiled from Athens because you're corrupting the minds of the youth. (laughs) Been there. Yeah. But you could then go to another town and you'd be accepted. Like, there's just so many, so much freedom and, like, openness.
1: But also, since it's so small and localized, that apathy, which you said is so shunned, wouldn't be that common. Mm -hmm. Like, you'd, you'd care a little bit more about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Socrates literally died because he didn't want to leave Athens because he cared about the city so much. Yeah. Like, imagine caring about your city so much that you'd rather be killed than leave it. Like, no one can even really imagine that.
1: Not many young people, let me fair. I don't think many young people can. Yeah. Well, we're all, what do they say, internet migrants? Yeah. Refugees of the internet?
0: Something like that.
1: Another really cool local tradition I looked into is the festivals and the celebrations of the different deities. So, for instance... In Athens, obviously, probably the biggest festival was for Athena. Mm-hmm. And it kind of varied like that. And these varied in their exact contents. But Typical was a really, really grand procession. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, everyone has a day off, everyone attends. Yeah. Which I think is beautiful. And for, for instance, for Dionysus, there are plays performed mm-hmm. in the name of the god of drama. And there's a lot of harvest-related significance. So Mm -hmm. these occur at different times of the year every year. And also, like a weird tradition I found was occasionally there would be scapegoating or sacrifice. And this might be with a really nice animal, Mm -hmm. like the best of the bunch. Or in uh, one tradition I saw the scapegoating would involve finding the ugliest man or two men that could be found.
0: Oh, dear. Yeah. That's a bit (laughs) morbid, isn't it?
1: So I thought, you know, we... Sometimes we look back in the past 2,000, 3,000 years and we think, wow, how were the people so much more advanced than us? Mm -hmm. Even ethically, we might have that false assumption, but slavery was incredibly widespread and also practices like this. And even in Athens, I mean, it's kind of well-documented there was a certain attitude towards pedophilia, which today is not
0: accepted. Yes, for (laughs) for very, very good reason. Maybe we can talk about... What were the good things? What were the, if you had to name like the conditions or like the the three stars that aligned to create such genius in this era, what do you feel like they are?
1: Well, when I was looking into it, because this is kind of a question which we wanted to ask, you know, we, we talked to each other and said, why was this civilization so innovative? Mm-hmm. I was trying to find really practical reasons. Mm-hmm. One is that everything's preserved really well from ancient Greece. Like we still, Mm -hmm. we can still walk around the ruins. Yeah. And we still have some plays, which is not the case for most other ancient civilizations, but not always because they didn't have drama, just because a lot of it was lost. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, indeed, a lot of ancient Greece, uh, ancient Greek plays were lost. But I think the way this was preserved and so many other civilizations weren't, kind of skews our historical perception a little bit. Not Mm -hmm. to say that it wasn't really innovative, but because we know so much of it, It makes it seem like everything else was just a bunch of people in caves, Mm -hmm. which wasn't the case at all, of course. No, by no means. And, uh, you know, going along with this point, there's kind of our Eurocentrism, or as you mentioned earlier, the fact that our society is so similar to ancient Greek makes us exalt them above other places, for instance, like Mm -hmm. ancient China. Yeah. Or the Persians, Mm
2: -hmm. which were all
1: really advanced as well. So I don't know if Greece being head and shoulders above the rest of the ancient world is exactly true
0: yeah that was kind of my conclusion of thinking I was like well why were they so good but it's like China far before Greece was like doing wild things making these huge ships they were found like gunpowder they were doing math like way before any of this even existed so it's like yeah I feel like that's what we have to kind of remind ourselves of that it's Basically, just our education that we received that exactly. makes us exalt this so much. The
1: other the other thing I think is that when you think Greece, you think art, architecture, drama, or I do anyway, statues, mm-hmm. and those are really beautiful things. And so we tend to cast a more favorable eye on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No one's like, gunpowder, which is not to say that's ancient China's only uh, contribution, yeah. because I know there was a lot more, but we don't immediately associate it with at least uh, an an artistic tradition which you know the Western sensibility considers like higher above all others. I mean, yeah, we we for both sure. love Greek statues and the idea of it mm-hmm. and the vases. We're both huge fans of the Odyssey and the mm-hmm. Iliad. But that's because that's what we know.
0: Yeah, that's what was translated into English and yeah, Exactly. Distributed basically. There's not many ancient
1: Those are great works though.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: <laughs> On the statues, I had a few notes just because I wanted to mention them a little bit. Yeah. Um, I found this article on classroom.com. Great resource, apparently. Okay. Um, from someone called Alana Schilling. And she just had a, a good quote because I was always drawn to the statues because of how I I, th- I find it funny how everyone today kind of loves them. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, we live in what I would call kind of a prudish culture with regards to nudity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: at least on television, which is kind of, and movies, which is kind of like our statues of the yeah. day. So she had this quote which said, nudity was an important feature of ancient Greek sculptures. It possessed a near philosophical importance. Mm. Ancient Greeks thought that the mind, body, spirit, and flesh were united. By sculpting the human body, Greeks were symbolically immortalizing flesh in marble and joining the mortal and the eternal. Mm. And just actually reading that quote makes me think of something else. The way that we kind of immortalize ourselves by posting a selfie and putting it on the internet, I suppose puts us in marble, but our kind of contemporary equivalent of stone is the most kind of intangible amorphous transient if you could even call it a substance there is which is Mm -hmm. the internet or the digital world or whatever yeah so it's like you're you're immortalizing yourself quote-unquote putting yourself in you know what goes on the internet stays on the internet Mm -hmm. but is it even it's not really anywhere
0: yeah yeah
1: whereas these were like occupying space these were made out of rock
0: Yeah, it's like if the servers in Silicon Valley get burned, they're burned. Yeah, but but I feel like you could burn a statue, and just like would be charred a little bit. No, I mean
1: statues (laughs) break down, but that's it's just it's not even about the servers. It's just like you have a laptop open. If you can Mm -hmm. see an image on it, it's not it's not a real thing. Yeah, you can minimize the tab, and it just it's not there anymore. Yes, it kind of doesn't exist in any kind of physical way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this really fixed idea of bodily perfection they had. I think it was interesting because even their aesthetics were themselves what they would consider to be a union of physical forms and intellect because it was, for the most part, you know, artistic excellence was determined in an intellectual way through studies of proportion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they're really famous for the golden ratio and there were whole treatises of this is what looks nice put together Mm -hmm. and this is how lines should be aligned and this is what shapes are. And I think that was kind of cool because we distance so much today, art and science Mm -hmm. and with it, the physical body and the mental strength. Yeah. Which is really, I think, a failing of our culture.
0: Yeah, that was the most apparent failing and like kind of regression. Like pretty much everything else from that time period. We've like advanced on like Hippocrates medicine is a bit sketchy, but we, so we've made it a little bit better, but with the education system, it seems highly effective. There were three tenets of basically music and art, math and science. And then there was sports. Mm -hmm. And I also found it cool that they didn't, they weren't just hitting the gym the way we hit the gym, like their sports to train for the military. Yeah. would be they'd wrestle, they'd joust, they'd... Functional. Yeah, I thought it was really neat. It was because it's fun and, like, comp- competitive. And it's not just like, okay, we're going to run marathons. It was like we're going to have these kind of fun competitions and the agoras and everyone's going to participate. Yeah, and that was just, like, equal with math and science and art. We need to get art and physical <laughs> education back.
1: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a balance which we've slowly we lost. I feel like you're either subscribing to the idea that if someone's athletic from a young age and not so good at physics, mm-hmm. then they're dumb. Yeah. Or if they're really good at physics, but not so athletic, then they're... Weak. Then they're weak, yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's like, what if we just encouraged people who are a little bit worse at physics to say, hey, you can like just compensate. Like We need balance. <laughs> and be like, hey, if you get better at physics... Your mind's going to be stronger, and then you're going to be able to do more physical activity and vice versa. Definitely. Yeah. Some other
1: um, concrete reasons I thought about the innovation, or that I kind of researched the innovation of this period. Because it, like, it was innovative. We kind of downplayed it, but it's ancient Greece.
0: I mean, they created just institutions, yeah. which we just have, don't even not an eye out. we take for granted basically yeah. I
1: mean and there's there's arguments we made that our democracy for instance is not as good as the, the yeah. democracy or yeah. not, not as pure so one reason for their kind of uh progress was the geography which I mentioned the mountains and the islands which meant for the most part natural protection from invasion
2: mm-hmm.
1: so most of the ancient world most of human history people have just been devoting their time to staying alive by fighting Mm -hmm. other civilizations or by defending their own. Yeah. But a lot of time in Greek, they didn't have to do that so much. Yeah. So much. Like, war was still a a big part of life and bigger than it is today for most of us. But, I mean, it was relatively safe, I think. Mm -hmm. And as well as this, the land had a lot of minerals, as I mentioned, and a lot of metals. Mm -hmm. It was kind of fertile in that way. So you can build things with those, Mm -hmm. which in other places... Maybe you're not so blessed as to be able to. And along with this, the Mediterranean meant that it was so well-placed for trade. Mm -hmm. So some ideas and other materials can come in from other places. Mm -hmm. Also, this is just something I saw. I don't know. Maybe you have some more information on it with your onion anecdote. Yeah. Healthy diet and climate.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Mediterranean diet just is the, the diet. Like, obviously, not just eating onions and bread. But like, if you, it's like a blue zone. It's, like, leisurely. There's no hyper-stressful. Like, they don't have to hibernate for the winter like you do in Canada. Mm -hmm. Or, like, hunker down from, like, 12 to 4 in the afternoon like you do in... Yeah,
1: days are long. Yeah. And lives are pretty long as well. Yeah. Even for the ancient world. And another reason I saw is that especially Athens and Thebes and Sparta were pretty wealthy. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, professions such as artists and philosophers and architects can survive in a way which mm-hmm. a lot of places they can't. I saw this comparison of Athens to Silicon Valley.
0: Yeah, I also saw that.
1: Which seemed quite seemed quite apt from my understanding of both of them in that it's not the case that everyone in California is a genius in computer mm-hmm. science, but some people are.
0: Yeah. So it gets It also that, attracts those people.
1: Yeah, and because some people are and they build a little community, other people from other places come, you mean like yes. that? Yes.
0: Because Athens, like, attracted people. Like, Greece attracted people from all over, and they were open. Like, as I said earlier on, they didn't have, like, a mandated religion. It was just very open. It was polytheistic, and it was like, oh, you're coming in from wherever. You're an immigrant. You're, you're escaping somewhere, and you have some cool ideas. We'll let you in and take care of you, which is what lended to their progress was not just constantly shutting down new ideas and new people.
1: Okay, did you have anything else you wanted to mention? No, I'm good. So I had a few questions I thought we could close out on. The first is, in broad terms, how did the ancient Greek people differ from ours today here, let's say in Canada or America? Um, Were their interests in other things? Where did their priorities lie?
0: Okay. I would say that their priorities lied in strength, mental and physical. Mm. And that was just what differentiates them so much from us. I feel like our priority is comfort and peace. Yeah, definitely. Which isn't bad. We want equality. We want equity. But...
1: I would say the idea of just individual strength in general, and mm-hmm. especially individual strength uh, composing a community strength is yes. completely Almost lost today.
0: Because it might be, it's often, I'd say today, seen as selfish. It's like, oh, you go to the library three hours a day and the gym three hours a day and yeah, work six hours it's, a day.
1: It's a, it's a class thing, definitely.
0: Yeah, and it's like seen as negative. But it's like you could work on yourself in that way while working eight hours a day and you're just going to contribute to a better society. Mm. Like it's, it's perhaps comes from a selfish place, but it really just is... For a better
1: world. I I would agree on that. They had a more earnest idea of self-improvement leading to, especially that connection leading to community improvement. Yes. Whereas we kind of view these things as completely disparate. You look at a, let's say, like some soulless city where there's no sense of neighborhood or anything like that. Oh, I wish there was more community here, but no one's working towards that remotely. Mm -hmm. The next question is how much of that innovation and kind of, I would just say, positive culture relatively Mm -hmm the time can be attributed to quite a uniform and devout sense of religion Mm -hmm. is it even possible to build like that in a society which many would call Mm post-god
0: it's hard to say because a lot of people would look at because we're so used to um, monotheism it's like you look at ancient Greece and it's like is that even religion like there's there were so many gods there were so many different practices everyone kind of did it their own way was open to religion. Like you could be whatever you wanted. Yeah. And that's basically the same as what it is today, except for that they were all operating within this one system. It's like, you could do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, but it was still like, you're choosing between like, like you're all operating the same set of deities.
1: Yeah. There wasn't that much variation Yeah. in ancient Greece. And also almost everyone was believed in it. Like there wasn't much atheism.
2: I don't want to sound like I'm
1: advocating for a theocracy or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but I just, that always strikes me when I look back at history, I'm like, everyone was kind of pulling in the same direction here, it seems. Mm -hmm. Let's say even within a city-state, let's say even just within Athens, everyone was kind of serving Athenia and the
0: temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like just the diversity of religion would make it mildly challenging. I don't think it's innately in opposition to unity. I just, I I really don't think that,
1: but it's, it's just, it
0: certainly helped probably.
1: Yeah. I mean, even when you look back at the lasting and most beautiful architecture from that period Mm -hmm. are temples. Yeah. The plays were composed for the festival of Dionysus.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It has such a big part of, it played such a big role in people's lives, Mm. especially their creative lives.
0: I feel like the closest thing we could do today if we were trying to build a modern Athens Hmm. would be uniting people under the love and like power of nature.
1: Okay. You know what I mean? So a value basically rather than a a God.
0: Because it's like every religion pretty much has a big part of it is in relation to nature. You can see the beauty and the value of nature to literally, even if you're being essentialist about it, to keep you alive. So I feel like that would be a good unifying value. Definitely would. Yeah, and a lot of our art is still about it. A lot of our plays and movies and architecture can mimic it. I don't know. That's just how I would answer that question.
1: No, I like it. I think that I'm just thinking now about landmarks and different big architectural achievements of our time and how many are going to be surviving 2,000 years from now. Mm-hmm. And like Mount Rushmore springs to mind. Yeah. Because this is exalting, you know, it's a work which exalts historical people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: perhaps all representing values. Yeah. But it's that's different to statues of the gods, right? Yeah. But I think that's kind of like a, a good illustrative difference in how a society's mm-hmm. changed.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: My last question, we haven't really touched on it today, is. Socrates said that once something is written down, it loses its ability for change and growth. Mm. We know that he was kind of very concerned about Greek's ancient Greece's transition towards a written civilization rather mm-hmm. than an oral one. Is our culture too imbalanced towards written versus oral communication?
0: Yeah, for sure. We don't know how to talk. we don't know how to remember <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's, those are those are that's those are the two things yeah. I mean, this podcast is evidence of it. Yeah. People listening are like, yeah, these guys can't talk.
0: Yeah. They're trying to recall facts and they're just (laughs) blanking. (laughs) It's funny. I felt nervous about this episode just all week. And, And normally I don't. Normally I can recall things really quickly. But for some reason on this topic in this episode, my brain was just blanking. Maybe it was just to make a point on this question that we're not... Conditioned to memory.
1: Even when I look back, I don't have to look back to ancient Greece. I think you can go back a hundred years, maybe even fifty. Yeah. And the general average level of average quality of speech, would Mm -hmm. you say, seems higher than it is today?
0: People were just better articulated. Yeah.
1: We like they kind of they probably listen to us and say, oh, they're nice nine year olds. They they're pretty Mm -hmm. well spoken. Yeah. Like, I was listening, last week we did an episode on Tolkien, and I've been listening to some interviews by him. Yeah. And I was like, this guy's...
0: People spoke so poetically as yes. well, and wrote so poetically. Yes. Be, I don't know well, why we don't have to. I know it's like there's internet. spell check. I think it's internet. kind of like a before yeah. and
1: after. Internet, we, we read so much, we write so much that we don't speak. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know when boomers complain about how kids don't learn to write
2: mm-hmm. cursive
1: anymore? Uh, oh, yeah. everyone just types. no one knows how to print or, or write cursive. It's kind of like that, but for yeah. speech, I think. And also I share that boomer complaint about kids not being able to write properly.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't spell for, for the life of me. Like, I think if there was some threatening situation in which I had to spell a word correctly, I just couldn't. <laughs> and it's like, it's not because I don't read or write a lot. It's just like, it's just part of me.
1: Do we have any practical tips to live a more Socrates or Socratic life when it comes to our relationship to writing, reading, listening, talking?
0: Well, I'm attempting to journal every day in some capacity.
1: He wouldn't like that.
0: Yes. (laughs) But for us, I feel like it's productive today. Mm -hmm. We've kind of passed the point of where writing is an option. We have to write. I find it helps me articulate my feelings and be creative in the words I use because I do the same thing every day. Yeah. Find beauty in small things and just... It off your phone I don't know and
1: well I mean writing in a way which isn't which is pretty much carving these tiny little lines and symbols into a piece of paper is different from typing mm-hmm. is one thing also I would say this is an advice that I have thought about many times don't really achieve very well partially because I don't speak French which is where we, mm-hmm. we speaks. but try and talk
0: try and talk
1: yeah that's it's so like fun I mean try and talk in a way which isn't just Hi, how's it going? Because something I've observed about myself over the last two years, we've done this podcast, is that this is quite often the only time in a week I will have to, artic- I will be forced to articulate myself for half an hour to an hour mm-hmm. about a substantial topic. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, the rarity of it doesn't lend itself so much to being good at it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So people might try it, try having a conversation and think, why I just wish I was more articulate and wish I could get my ideas out better, and
0: mm-hmm. I wish I
1: could speak fluently. But that's because I think, for the most part, none of us ever do or ever have to.
0: Yeah, surround yourself with people who are willing to have those conversations and be patient with one another. Two more things came to my mind. One, maybe like reading out loud. Ooh, yeah, would be helpful. And the other one, I I talk about her so much. I don't watch many YouTube videos, but there's this. He told me. On YouTube, she is. She had all her friends over and got them all to write a love poem to themselves and perform it, just in their friend group. And I was like, I would be like beat red if yes, I had to yes. do that. Yes,
1: Very ashamed about speaking
0: and about my ability to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely fumble. And I was like, imagine having people around you who were like, "Let's just have a poetry night." Like, that's so renaissance to me and so <laughs> beautiful. And I just, I don't know how we can incorporate that in our lives, but I really would like to in some way.
1: Yeah. Another thing is we've kind of uh, mentioned these things which seem kind of light, but th- there's a really heavy implication to what I would call a relative illiteracy of our culture. Not to say that we're illiterate because mm-hmm. we're probably more literate than any time in history. Yes. But the, maybe the quality, mm-hmm. not so much the quantity of who can speak, but the quality of the people who can speak has gone down a bit, and what this lends itself to is a lot of kind of political duping, Mm -hmm. I would say, because no one, we didn't mention it, but also in Greece was taught rhetoric from a young age, so people would be able to, this kind of goes hand in hand with democracy, go figure, it doesn't anymore, but so that people could discern and be educated about when someone was a legit politician or a Mm -hmm. demagogue, and I think... You know, I don't want to name any names, but we can see quite often in politics these days, people generally falling for charisma, mm-hmm. humor, you know, a certain way that people speak kind of uh, making people overwork the content of their speech or the lack mm-hmm. thereof.
0: Yeah, like it has sure. a heavy implication. Yeah.
1: It's kind of a strange way to end the episode, but...
0: <laughs> no, we didn't get into democracy too much. I think we're going to talk about that in the future mm-hmm. a bit more, but... So there's a lot of teasers today. We're going to talk about democracy going forward, and I'm sure we'll have a a mention of like the foundation of it, which was in ancient Greece, which is really neat. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I hope everyone liked that episode. I hope we did pretty well to elucidate some of the reasons why ancient Greece was so productive, but also why it's captured the imagination of us Mm -hmm. and the general culture, especially I feel like our youthful generation is really into it Mm -hmm. i think it has like a tiktok side and things like that (laughs) why is it so big listen to this episode or at least hopefully you you get something out of it
0: yeah thanks for listening
1: bye